weeks since we've been here in Joshua, and if you remember correctly, this passage of Joshua from about um, well, about chapter 12 or 13 through about chapter 21, 22, we've been looking at it in one big group. We haven't been going verse by verse in it. We spent one week talking about the Levites and their inheritance. We spent a, uh, another week talking about, um, talking about Caleb and uh, God's plan and his role on that. Well, tonight we're going to do a quick little chapter, and it's chapter 20, and if you look at it, it's only nine verses long. And it's one of those subjects that you really don't hear a lot about, and it's something about the cities of refuge. And that's what we're going to talk about here. Verse 1 of Joshua chapter 20 says, Then the Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourself cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. When he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward, they assigned Belzar in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Rumen, Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them. And whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. What a strange little chapter. And that's why I love these little chapters, because we don't get a chance to do this type of stuff on Sunday morning. So it's kind of fun here on Wednesday night to dig into this a little bit. Keep your hand here in Joshua 20. Flip back, if you will, to Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19. This idea of cities of refuge is actually talked about three times in the Old Testament. It was a big deal to God. And we're going to get to why it was a big deal to God here in a little bit. But we have to talk about the background of it first before we fully grasp and understand it. Keep your hand in Joshua 20, but turn to Deuteronomy 19. What basically happens here is you're out working. And as you're out working, something happens unintentional. It's an accident, and someone dies. I usually don't use words like the Bible is funny, but I kind of find these passages funny here. Look at Deuteronomy 19. Let's start in verse 4. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in the past, as, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he shall flee to one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood while his anger is hot pursue the manslayer and overtake him. It's an accidental death. I believe it's in um, numbers. It goes into more detail. It says that if you're out there like sorting stones in your field and your neighbor walks by and says, Hey, Joe, and you accidentally flip the stone because you don't know and you hit him in the head and you kill him. It was an accidental death. This example, you're out there chopping down wood. Your axe head goes flying off and takes out your neighbor and hits him in the head. He dies. It was an accidental death. Well, what happened was back during Bible times, though, they lived by an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So therefore, your neighbor, who you completely accidentally took out with an axe head or a stone, is dead. Well, their family member, the avenger of blood, is going to hunt you down and kill you. That's the way they did it back then. 
Well, this was an unintentional death. You didn't mean to take him out with your accident. You didn't mean to take him out with your stone. It was a complete accident. So what God set up is on these cities, and I forgot, I actually had a little picture here to show you where they had on the map, is um, there's three cities, three on one side of the Jordan and three in the Promised Land. And they were all roughly one day's journey. If you were anywhere in the nation of Israel, you could get to one of these cities in a day's journey. And these were called a city of refuge. So therefore, you had an accidental death. You accidentally killed somebody. You could run to one of these cities, and it's like a base. You're safe. They can't touch you there. The avenger of blood could come to that city and say, send out James. He took out my uncle by accident with the accent. And they'd say, no, this is a city of refuge. James is allowed to stay here. So what would happen then as these cities of refuge is you'd go through a little trial and they would say, okay, you're right. It was an accident, purely accidental. You're innocent. So therefore, here's the catch. You have to stay in this city of refuge now for the rest of your life. Now, there's a couple of qualms to it. You could see once the high priest dies, the idea is, the, is that you're free to go now. But the assumption is you are now part of this city and you stay in this city. And as long as you stay in the city... You are safe, and you're okay. Your avenger of blood could camp outside the city, could just walk around the city and just wait for you to come out, but as long as you stayed in the city, you're okay. That's how they did with accidental deaths back then, and as long as you stayed there, you're fine. Now, you've got to be careful with this, because there's some extra-biblical Rules that went along with this, that as this kind of developed, they made some more rules. And so these rules are not in the Bible. I want to make sure you know this. But from Jewish tradition, we know there's a couple rules that came along. One of the things was that if you joined this city, that the tradesmen of that city would teach you a trade, and that you would then become a productive part of the society in this city and actually live there. Now I always find it kind of funny that you would sit here and you couldn't leave the city until the high priest died. What a strange place to be. You're sitting there hoping for somebody to die. So according to Jewish tradition, once again, not in the Bible, Jewish tradition, a, a relative of the high priest, most predominantly his mother, would come to the city of refuge and give you clothes and items. So that way you would actually kind of like the high priest and his family, so therefore you wouldn't wish for him to be dead. It's kind of a funny little thing that went on there. Because you could sit there in the city of refuge saying, is the high priest dead yet? Is he dead yet? No, he's not. Well, the family comes and actually kind of serves you and ministers to you, so that way you kind of grow a liking to them. It's a, it's a funny little setup that they had here. And that's how they dealt with stuff back then. And one more little point about this before we go on and talk about the symbolism for us. It's important to note in Joshua 20, verse 9, this is open to anybody. Do you see this in verse 9? It's open to the children of Israel, and it's also open to the stranger. So it doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile. You are safe in the city of refuge. You accidentally kill somebody. You run to one of these six cities that are closest to you. And you go in there. The elders of the city protect you. They do a quick little trial. Find out it was an accidental death. It's an accidental death. You get to stay in that city. You're safe in that city. Nothing can happen to you. And that's the way the Old Testament dealt with accidental deaths. That's the way they dealt with it legally, and that's the system that came out of it. Now, there's a huge symbolic spiritual picture of this, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But does anybody, first off, have any questions about the Old Testament legal side of this and understanding the concept of what these cities of refuge are? Everybody on the same page? Okay, no good. Now, how does it apply to us? Well, there's two ways it applies to us. First one, if you're taking notes, Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength. These cities of refuge are a picture of us running to the Lord. 
for refuge and strength, and that we stay there and we're safe and we're protected and we're taken care of. That's the first picture that you have there. That's a pretty simple, straightforward idea. That you run to the city, you run to the Lord, and as you run to the Lord, He watches out for you and takes care of you. Now, come on, all of us are either going through a difficult time or have been through a difficult time, or you know what? A difficult time is coming. We all need a city of refuge, some place where we can run to, know that we're going to be safe, and know that God's going to take care of us. That's the first idea there. And as you're in that city, nobody can hurt you. The avenger of blood can circle the city and keep circling the city. As long as you stay in that city of refuge, you're safe. As long as you stay in the arms of Jesus, you're going to be okay. Too often, though, we leave the arms of Jesus to go out on our own, and that's where we run into trouble. We need to stay in the refuge of God. That's where we have to stay. Now, the deeper spiritual picture is that these cities of refuge are a picture of us and what we did to Jesus. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 3. There's always been two passages in the Bible that have always really confused me. And they both dealt with the same topic. And it's not until you put it together here with the cities of refuge does it actually start to make sense. Acts chapter 3. What you have here in Acts chapter 3 is Peter giving a speech to the Jews. And, and listen to what he says here. In Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But he says, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. They denied Jesus and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of, of which we are all witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. This is the man they healed, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, nobody has any problems with what he said there in verses 14 through 16. Jesus healed this lame man that was there in the power of Christ. And we also know that the Jews did deny Jesus, verse 14. They did ask for a murder of Barabbas to be released. But look at what Peter says in verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as did also your rulers. That verse has always bugged me. Because it's like, well, wait a second. Ignorance? They did it in ignorance. I mean, they, they one week beforehand cried out, Messiah, you know, oh, holy one. They were doing Hosanna. And the next week later, they're crying, crucify him. Peter says you did it in ignorance. Paul even says this. You don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, you can write it down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul even comes out and says, he goes, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Peter says, you did in ignorance. Paul comes out and says, you know what? If you really would have known who you were dealing with, you wouldn't have done it. I always find that fascinating to me. It almost sounds like there's a built-in excuse there, doesn't it? Well, we can't be guilty then because, you know, we didn't really fully understand Really what Paul and Peter are saying is, if you guys really knew, if you really understood that Jesus was a long-awaited Messiah, you wouldn't have killed him. Basically, it was a mistake. It was ignorance. And now they're giving a second chance to be, have things made right. Well, apply it now to the city's refuge. You didn't mean to kill your friend. The axe head flew off. You were tossing stones. You were just out there doing things. Your friend got killed. You didn't mean to kill him. You had no intention of doing that. Peter and Paul are saying the same thing here. If you really would have known who Jesus was, if you really would have known that, you would not have done it. And so therefore what you have is you're now guilty of the death of a man. So what do you need to do? You need to run to the city of refuge. 
because you're guilty of the death of a man. And as you go to the city of refuge, when in the city of refuge are you allowed to be made free? When what? When the high priest dies. Well, now follow along with me. What does the book of Hebrews say? Well, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that what? Jesus Christ is our high priest. It says, therefore, in all things, he, meaning Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. Now, propitiation is a big fancy word. None of us use that word in our regular everyday life. Propitiation means appeasement. Jesus appeased the penalty of sin by his death. Sin had to be taken care of. So when he made propitiation, means he paid the debt for us. He appeased sin for us. And Hebrews goes one step further in Hebrews chapter 10. You don't need to turn there again. Verse 11, Hebrews 10, 11. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Stop there for a second. Old Testament law can never take away sins. The Bible says it could only cover it up. It could never fully take it away. It wasn't until Jesus died on the cross that sin was really dealt with. Hence verse 12. But this man, capital M, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So we know from Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest, and we know from Hebrews later on that our high priest died for us to take away our sins. So just like in the Old Testament, just like in the Old Testament, you accidentally killed somebody, you run to the city of refuge, you're safe in the city of refuge, and you are then able to be set free from the city of refuge when the high priest dies. You and I killed Jesus. Our sin killed Christ. Now Paul and Peter are saying, if you really knew, if you really knew, you wouldn't have done it. But we sinned. We killed Christ. So therefore, we run to the city of refuge, and we are made free. Why? Because the high priest dies, which is Jesus. And so these cities of refuge really are a picture of us, guilty of the death of Christ, running to God because we have no other place to run to, and then the high priest himself dies, Christ, which then sets us free. So we are in a city of refuge right now because we are safe there through what Christ has done for us on the cross. That is our city of refuge right there. Now, it kind of even goes a little step further. If you still got your hand in Deuteronomy 19, you can look at this. If not, just you can uh, kind of listen here. But in Deuteronomy 19, it goes on and talks about the roads. All these cities of refuge had to have clear, well-defined, marked roads. So therefore, when you accidentally hurt your Uncle Joe again with the axe head or the stone, you know exactly where to go, how to get there, and nothing hinders your way. Well, I look at those roads being clearly marked and clear and straight and right for the Lord. I think that's a picture of the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us to Christ. This is the beautiful thing about the Lord. He makes it so abundantly clear how to be pointed towards Christ. Doesn't he? Makes it so clear. I, I, I find it very difficult to believe that somebody living in northwest Ohio would have a difficult time not knowing and understanding at least the concept of God and the concept of at least understanding the name of Jesus. They may not know all the details. I mean, we just got done with the Christmas holiday season. Every secular radio station starts playing Christmas music. And there's a lot of good lyrics in those Christmas music songs. TV shows are showing Christmas stuff all over the place. It'd be very difficult to live in this society nowadays and to truly say, I have never heard of God and I've never heard of Jesus Christ. If nothing else, you would ask your friends and neighbors of why do you say Jesus Christ every time you cuss? 
you would at least wonder what name they're saying. The point is the Holy Spirit has clear, defined marks to point us towards Jesus. That's what he does. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. These cities of refuge had roads that took them right to them to keep you safe. So therefore, when you're fleeing, it's a straight, nice road that's going to get you right to safety. Holy Spirit's the same way. He's going to take you right to where you need to go. Now let's build on this one more point here. Can you go to Numbers 35? Numbers 35. Like I said, there's three different references to these cities of refuge in the Bible because this is a very important concept to God. And I've noticed any time that there's something that's a symbolism of Jesus, God likes to go into a lot of detail about it. So Numbers 35. Here's the last point about these cities of refuge. You're in the city. You're safe in the city. You've become adjusted to the city. Don't leave the city. Well, Numbers 35... Let's start here in verse 26. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. Basically, you're in the city of refuge, you're safe. You're taken care of. No one can touch you. If you're dumb enough to leave, you have to be prepared to accept the consequences of what happens. If the avenger of blood wants to camp outside that city and wait for you, and you're dumb enough to go out, the Old Testament law is saying, that's your fault. We gave you a safe place. We gave you a place where you're going to be taken care of. It doesn't matter if you're Jew. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are. You have safety in the city of refuge. If you decide to leave and you die, that's your fault. Now, isn't that the same truth about Christianity here? Isn't it amazing what Jesus does? He, he died for the entire world. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, he died for you. There's a clear path that points you towards Christ, just like the roads, the Holy Spirit. And God says, if you come in, you can be in this refuge, the refuge of God. But yet, if you choose to leave this city of refuge, death is just waiting for you out there. And don't we see that? Haven't you known people, and I've known people that have really got their lives turned around in a good way, turned around, and they're walking with the Lord the way they're supposed to be walking with the Lord, and then they almost get confident, complacent, and stupid. And they start walking out of the city of refuge back into the world, and then they get caught right back up to it. I I distinctly remember years ago, there was a guy out here that... um, I mean, it was just an amazing story. Um, we got a phone call late one night. Um, just one of these guys had just kind of given up on the world. Somebody called the church and just said, hey, this guy needs Christ. So uh, some people from the church went over there and got a chance to witness to him, and he, he accepted the Lord. This guy had a serious drinking problem, a lot of issues, just a lot of baggage. And next thing you know, he starts coming to church. He starts getting involved with things. And it was just a really neat blessing to see. And I remember at that time, we used to still go out in the summer and do church softball games. And uh, he came with us to some of these church softball games. I'll never forget it. I remember him saying one time at these church softball games, he goes, I've never had so much fun being sober in my life. And I remember telling him, this is the way God has wanted it for you. This, this is it. This is the path he's chosen. I mean, this is it. Well, obviously the story didn't end real good. Um, you know, he got off the path and got back into the world. And I, and I still run into him, see him on a regular basis throughout this, the area. 
I'm always like, man, why, why don't you come back? Why don't you come back? But he wants to stay out in the world. And I look at the city of refuge. It's like, you know what? When he was in the city of refuge, it was good. He was safe. And by his own admission, he had never had that place of peace before in his life. As soon as you leave that place of peace, you're walking out in the world, out of the city of refuge. Death is just looking for you. The manslayer wants to track you down. The verse that comes to my mind when I think about this is actually out of the book of Jude. Jude one twenty one. it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That word keep is a very interesting word. It doesn't mean that we're doing it by our own power. It means that we're making a conscious choice to say, I want to stay where God's blessings are. I want to stay where God's peace is. I want to keep myself in the love of the Lord. As I heard a pastor say one time, wherever the falsehood is open, the water is coming out, you want to stay under that falsehood of God's blessings. It's that same concept of when Jesus in John 15 He said, abide in his love. New International Version says, remain in his love. New Living Translation goes one step further, and I'm just going to read this to you real quick. This is once again out of John 15. It says right here, uh, John 15, 9 through 10, he goes, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. In my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in His love. See, that's the thing. You have to decide where you want to plant yourself. There's a city of refuge out there for us. There's a city that keeps us safe. There's the refuge of God that helps us through difficult times. There's a place where God accepts us, brings us in. We're part of the family. The blessings of God are there. We want to stand to the falsehood of the blessing. But in free will, you can leave the city. And as you leave the city of protection, there's a manslayer that's just waiting out there to kill you. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. Death is waiting out there. The world is one tough place. And so that's why God says, stay in the city. Stay in the city. Or as it says in Jude one twenty one, keep yourselves in the love of the Lord. John 15, remain in my love. Make a conscious decision to say, this is where I want to be. Can't you just see this? Jump back in time. Three, four thousand years ago. You accidentally kill Uncle Joe once again. You're just sitting out there. You're in the city. You're safe. Time goes by. It gets a little tough in the city. You're bored. You go up on the wall. You look out. And you see everything going on out there. And you yearn for quote-unquote freedom. You yearn to go out and just do what you want to do. And so then you become complacent. And next thing you know, you're sneaking out at night a little bit just to stretch your legs a little bit. And next thing you know, you look around and you don't see any of the manslayer. I can't go out for a little bit, so you just run out for maybe 15, 20 minutes, but you run right back in. Well, what happens is every time you do that, you become desensitized more and more and more. So next thing you know, you're out of the city of refuge. You're out of protection. You've let your guard down. The manslayer shows up, and you're dead. Same thing happens spiritually. If you start playing with fire, you're going to get burned. We are in a safety net here of Christianity when we remain in God's love, when we keep his commandments. Does it feel constricted? Does it feel constrained? Sometimes love does feel a little constricted. Sometimes love does feel a little constrained. But we know the big picture that his love keeps us safe. And so therefore, when we start going out of his love, out of his will, and we go into the world and we play with fire a little bit, we're going to get burned. We're going to get burned. There's things that get us worked up. There's things that that pull us down. 
What do you choose to do when the things of the world start to eat you up? What do you do when that anxiety and that worry and that fear get the best of you? Do you stay in the city of refuge where God says, I got you and I'll take care of you? Or do you run into the world? If you run into the world, things are going to get you. Everybody here tonight has come in with some burden. Everybody here tonight has come in with some problem. And the question comes up, where are you going to plant yourself? Are you going to plant yourself in the city or are you going to plant yourself in the world? Elias, five years old, got a kitchen playset that his grandpa made him for Christmas. Beautiful thing. So we got the kitchen play set in the living room today. And for part of it, we got it for Christmas presents. He got all these little um, plastic toy kitchen set things. Cups and, and dishes and spatulas and all this type of stuff. So in the play set, there was a faucet with, you know, the little wash basin. So Elias this afternoon, you have to know Elias. Elias is the firstborn. And so therefore, the world is never going to be perfect enough for a firstborn. For you firstborns out there, I pity you. I really do. The world is just never going to click for you guys. So poor Elias, firstborn, he's trying to get all the food in the right places in this kitchen set. I just feel bad for him. He's just trying to get everything in the right place. The salt and pepper shakers, he's got everything organized in the kitchen set. But he's got all these dishes, all these little plastic spatulas and dishes. And he's just, Dad, will you help me do the dishes? Elias, you don't have to do the dishes. They're not real. They're plastic. He loads up all the dishes in his little wash basin. He's got them under his little faucet, and he's just stressed out over all the dishes that he has to do. And his poor little kid is just stressing there over having to wash fake dishes. So I told him, I said, you know what, Elias, when we get home from church tonight, I will help you do fake dishes. And we're going to wash them dry, all the fake dishes. So if you wonder what I'm doing tonight from 8.30 to 9, I'm washing fake dishes at home. The point of the story is, five years old, that little kid is still carrying the burden of fake little dishes that need to be washed. Now listen, you guys and I all know, the older you get in life, the more burdens you have on your shoulders. You know it. I remember talking to one time a guy that was a grandpa, and uh, he had all these pictures, all these pictures up on his wall of all his grandkids, and somebody made the comment to him of, wow, what a neat blessing, what a neat legacy, heritage, to see all these pictures on the wall. And he says, there's a lot of worry on that wall. And isn't that the truth? The older we get, the more we start to carry on our own shoulders. But didn't Jesus stress to us, my yoke is easy, my burden is light? Why is it the older we get, the more we realize we think we have to carry it ourselves? We lose this concept of the city of refuge. We feel like we have to be out on our own, running from death and hurt and harm and depression and anxiety, where God says, just run into the city, close the gate behind you, and I'll take care of you. Psalm 46.1, our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Psalm 46.1. If you're carrying some burden tonight, you've got to take it to the Lord. You've got to run into the city of refuge and let him carry that burden for you. And you know what? Stay in the city. Don't leave. Just stay right there where you're safe and sound. And if you know someone going through a difficult time, encourage them they got to run to the city of refuge themselves, too. If they run to the world, the world's just going to let them down. There's death out there. Death is just waiting for us. Spiritual, emotional, physical death is just waiting for us out there, and that's what's going to tear us down. We need that strength, that city of refuge, to get us through the difficult time. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we go ahead and close up with a word of prayer? All right, let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, just good to be here tonight, and Lord, I just pray that we would all truly cling to you that we would all truly go to that city of refuge and realize you're there for us, Lord. No matter what we're facing, be it somebody here tonight, somebody listening to this message later on, Lord, that they would just know that you're there in the city to take care of them and meet their needs. And we thank you and we praise you for that. We lift this up in your name. Amen.
You guys have a good week, and God bless, and hopefully we'll see you back here uh, Friday night.